on this episode here from Johnson County Human Services about the resources available for residents in need. Find out about innovative ways you can support your neighbors. We'll also talk with a helping organization about housing needs in our area and the impact of recent state and federal measures to ease the burden for renters and homeowners in our community. Finally, find out how technology is making it easier to get resources to those who are struggling. Whether you live in or just love Johnson County, Kansas, JOCO On The Go has everything Johnson County. Here's what's happening and what's coming up in the community you call home. Thanks for joining us for JOCO On The Go. I'm your host, Teresa Freed, a Johnson County resident and employee of Johnson County government. There's a perception that Johnson County residents are doing well financially and have few challenges with meeting their needs, but we know the reality is different for some in our community, especially during this pandemic. Today, we have several guests who are going to help us understand the needs in Johnson County and how we can help. Valerie, Chris, and Debbie, thank you for being here. I'm going to start just by having you introduce yourself and your role, and we'll start with Valerie and then Chris and Debbie. My name is Valerie Carson, and I'm the Community Planning Director at United Community Services, and thanks for asking us to be here. Thank you for being here. And Chris? Uh, my name is Chris Schneewise. I'm a Senior Management Analyst with the County Manager's Office, and I am also Johnson County's HIPAA, HIPAA Privacy Officer. Okay, Debbie. Hi, Debbie Collins, Director of the Human Services Department for Johnson County Government. Thanks for having us here today. All right, and Debbie, we're gonna go ahead and start with you. Can you just talk a little bit about the work that Human Services does, who you serve, and kind of what the needs are here in Johnson County? Sure, um, so we are kind of a, an all-purpose uh, human service organization. We serve um, people primarily those who are frail and elderly, people who are struggling with uh, housing issues, and folks up to about 200% of the federal poverty level. Um, we provide multiple different types of services, um, including uh, rent and mortgage assistance. When we have the funding, we don't always have the funding to do that. Um, we also provide utility assistance, help paying medical bills uh, through a designated pot of money that we have to, to be able to do that. We can help some with transportation issues, and then we do have food pantries in all. We have four different multi-service centers. Three of the four have food pantries in them, so we can provide those types of of stabilization services for people who are finding themselves needing that kind of help in Johnson County. And so obviously based on the fact that there are these services, um, can you talk a little bit about the need? Yes, well, especially right now during the COVID pandemic, we have uh, seen more and more people coming to us. Um, some are families that we have never served before. We've also seen a multitude of families that we served in the past that are kind of resurfacing again. They are struggling you know, to make their rent and mortgage payments. Uh, many of them have been furloughed or have, have had reduced hours at work um, with the whole situation with homeschooling and all of that right now. Not everybody has the opportunity to actually work from home. So we're seeing families that are really uh, having a hard time making their payments. And that's where we're able to kind of step in and help with some of those things that I mentioned before. As far as the resources that are available, hopefully the pandemic is sh short term or I mean, it feels like it's a very long term thing right now, but um, it hopefully will end at some point. So is there something that can be done to help residents who maybe are facing more short, short term impacts from the pandemic? 
Well, sure. I mean, we always need donations, uh, whether it be, you know, cash donations or food. We, um, we actually have always relied upon schools and churches to, to run uh, food drives for us. Because of COVID and, and the, you know, social distancing requirements, we've not been able to count on those particular sources of revenue and food. So we have um, come up with a, a pretty, um, I think, innovative way of getting donations from people. Um, we actually have a, uh, a wish list on Amazon that has been reactivated. We, we used this when the pandemic first started and we had a huge outpouring of people who supported that effort. Um, they went onto Amazon, they found our, our organization and they just ordered peanut butter and crackers and um, you know, shelf-stable food soups and all kinds of things. And we had so much food coming to us. It was, it was an absolute wonderful uh, response from our community. We had so much food, in fact, that we kind of, we scaled way back on, on those requests from Amazon. But now that school has started back up, we're starting to see families coming to us more and more. And so we've actually reactivated that whole uh, wish list on Amazon. So if anybody would like to donate through Amazon, really the easiest way would be to go on the Human Services Facebook page. We have a link directly to the Amazon wish list. Um, that's the easiest way to find us. Um, otherwise, we always need donations of, you know, just money donations that we can use to purchase food and other types of equipment and supplies. The thing I think is kind of neat too is, you know, people are so familiar with Amazon and you can do it from the convenience of your home. It's nice and safe, uh, but it doesn't include just food. There are other items that you guys are, are in need of, right? And those are also on Amazon. A lot of personal hygiene items, diapers for babies, um, you know, shampoo, soaps, those kinds of things. Um, you know, all of that is, is part of our wish list. So uh, people in need aren't, aren't discriminating, you know, that they're not just wanting food. They need, they need everything. Toilet paper, um, I'm hoping that there's not going to be another run on that, but that was something that we were finding ourselves very short on as well. And what a great response from our community. And can you talk a little bit about that, um, that link between school being back in session and the increased need? We have families now who are, are being required to stay at home and, and help uh, homeschool or supervise their, their students, especially if they're elementary school aged. People are likely having to take either leaves of absence without pay or their, their hours have been significantly cut back. Um, they may have had other you know, childcare options during the summer um, that they just don't have access to right now. So I think that's probably where the, the link is, that we're starting to see families that are being required to actually participate more in their child's educational process with this whole um, you know, the social distancing and the, the hybrid op models and the you know, uh, virtual schooling. So I, I believe that's probably what is, uh, what's attributing to the, the increase in people coming to us for help. All right. Thanks for that. And Valerie, can you talk a little bit about your organization and um, if you're seeing that sort of a similar situation in the community? United Community Services is a nonprofit um, community planning organization that's actually been around for more than 50 years here. And as an organization, we work to enhance the availability and delivery of health and human services. So I think 
um, the way that we serve Johnson County versus very directly, like much of the multi-service centers that Human Services does, is we do that by informing, supporting, and expanding resources for many of the systems and organizations that work together to assure that local residents' needs are met and that basically all people in the community have the opportunity to fulfill their own potential and contribute to the well-being of the community as a whole. I think we're seeing, we're hearing many of those same things, especially as our role as the continuum of care on homelessness's um, lead agency, because we're hearing people calling and saying, I'm about ready to lose my housing. I'm behind in rent. Where do I go? What can I do? And I don't think a lot of people in Johnson County understand that that affordable, stable housing was already at risk for many households in the community before the pandemic um, and that the pandemic has really widened the gap or the kind of crack in the system that exposes how many people are affected by that. So prior to the pandemic, there was a significant proportion of Johnson County households that were already struggling to meet their needs on a, house, on a regular basis, but that was especially so for those who made $35,000 or less as a household. And so we, many of those are what we call cost burdened. If you're spending more than 30% of your income on housing, then you're known to be at increased risk for losing that housing due to things such as a sudden job loss or a major medical issue. Um, prior to the pandemic, one out of four households in the, in the community, regardless of their income, were already cost burdened, were already spending more than 30% of their income on housing. But for those renters and owners who actually made $35,000 or less a year, actually 80% or four out of five of them were cost burdened. Now, when the pandemic happened, for many, that brought that sudden loss of income due to the stay-at-home order and due to the loss of demand for many of the businesses. And first-time unemployment claims spiked in March and were disproportionately highest among those who had the lowest median wages. So it impacted those households who were already most likely to be cost-burdened in the community. And while those first-time unemployment claims have kind of dropped dramatically after that initial spike, those first-time claims in Johnson County have been starting to creep back up since the beginning of August when many of those expanded unemployment benefits went away. Um, now, another way that a broader systems are impacting the stability of housing in the community are what are called eviction moratoriums, where there has been a short amount of time set aside where those who were impacted by the pandemic and it had an impact on their income were kept from being evicted into the community and losing their housing to give them wiggle room until they could put those um, pieces of um, income together or um, to be able to meet their housing needs. And that was put in place by the state um, through the end of May. Um, and then actually the governor put it in place again um, mid-August um, when those unemployment benefits had run out, those expanded ones. And since then the CDC has put in an additional one. So there are being some policy measures being put in place to be able to help people maintain their housing. Because as the CDC would say, the, it's important that people maintain their housing because that prevents transmission and that enables people to also, if they are infected, to isolate and recover and have less severe outcomes. 
So it sounds like there's there's some fairly, I don't want to say stable, but there are some decent funding sources right now to help people address their housing needs. But there are concerns as time goes on that those might dry up. Uh, people may not be reemployed like um, we hope. So so what are some things that are happening right now to to address that? I think there's, there's, there's a lot of questions with some of the funding streams that are coming down. Uh, many of them have end dates on them that clearly say they have to be spent in this time frame. They have to be out the door in this time frame. And I think there's just a huge amount of unknowns around the pandemic. And when, not only when we will no longer be actively concerned about transmission in the community, but what impact that will have on local businesses for people's feeling like they can go out and they can re-engage and they can be fully employed and you know the impacts our schools that it doesn't only impact our businesses but it impacts our schools it impacts our faith communities it impacts a lot of our um, entertainment that we would normally engage in and be spending money in and so there's i don't i think sometimes we don't understand how interconnected those systems are with each other and how important that all of them um, continue in order to be able to, um, to stay healthy and to grow. So I, I know you touched on this, but I wanna talk a little bit more about it. Just the importance of people having housing during a public health crisis. When we're dealing with a pandemic, for people to be able to safely isolate when they need to or quarantine, um, so can you talk a little bit more about the public health aspect? This isn't just a, an issue for people who um, are facing a housing crisis. This is a, a, an issue for our entire community. You know, I was, I was really struck by the fact that when the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention put out its um, eviction moratorium on September 4th in the Federal Register. They honestly, they made the clear and compelling case for why housing is an effective public health intervention. The fact is, is that if you have a place to live, you have a place to self-isolate or quarantine if you're exposed, thus you prevent transmission. If you have a place to live, you have a place to recover in case you do become ill, which not only prevents transmission, but also reduces the likelihood that you have more severe outcomes from that particular illness. And if you, households are able to maintain their housing, then broader communities and those public health responses as a system can be effective and they can put those infection control measures into place. If people lose their housing kind of just here and there and everywhere, what ends up happening is that people kind of scatter to the wind and double up in with other family members. Thus you have a higher concentration of number of people, an inability to isolate and or they're out living in their cars or in places not meant for human habitation that again, put them at both at risk for likelihood of being exposed and not being able to self isolate and thus transmit potentially in the community. So the fact is, is that we all benefit from there being less illness, less death, and frequently and subsequently less transmission in the community. And that's not only important for our individual residents and their own experience with the illness, but it's also critically important for our local businesses and our local schools and faith communities and our government systems um, because all of that 
hesitant or invested in the fact that we have a healthy community. All right, great points there. And uh, next to Chris, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, it's important that all of these resources are there, but it's also very important that we connect the dots. We are able to connect people to those resources and then also help the people who are providing the resources get connected so that um, people are getting what they need. So can you talk a little bit about um, sort of this uh, program or or innovation called uh, MyRC? Uh, sure, Teresa. Um, my resource connection, believe it or not, is actually not very new. Um, it's actually ten year, over 10 years old. Um, something that the county has been working on. And the whole idea behind it is kind of the no wrong door approach um, for our own case managers within Johnson County government. That's how it started, was to allow people, let, let's say somebody's visiting um, Debbie's department, the human service department, and they're good there because they have housing insecurity. They maybe need rent assistance, something like that. But while one of Debbie's staff is meeting with them, they find out that they're also food insecure or better yet, maybe they have medical bills that they can't pay and that's part of their rent problem. Instead of kicking that can down the road, what the county wanted to do was take all these resource manuals that a lot of departments had, they would be out of date within three months of printing them. Let's take all that data, let's turn it into electronic data and then let's make that accessible to all of our staff. So that way when they're meeting with an individual, they can look at the whole person and look at what are all their needs link those needed resources, and then help that individual either make that referral, make that phone call, link them to that resource. So that way, again, this individual isn't wandering around or having to place three or four different phone calls to different organizations to try to get their needs met. So does that uh, extend just to Johnson County or is that something that's more regional? It is more regional now. Um, last, we just met with um, our biggest partner is United Way 211. We have a memorandum of understanding where they allow us access to their resource data so that we can make it viewable as well. So we are now up to 13 metro counties, um, five of which are on the Missouri side, eight of which are on the Kansas side, that they, we have resource data coming from all those different um, counties. So that way, again, if you're meeting with an individual that they may be in Johnson County receiving services, but guess what? They live right on the Johnson County, Wyandotte County border. There may be a resource in Wyandotte County that can better serve them. Um, and we want to be able to link them to that resource again without putting the burden back on the individual. So what does that look like for the person receiving the assistance? So say they walk into one of our human services offices and they're asking about um, housing assistance. Does somebody from another organization reach out to them? And then also, are there any concerns about privacy or how do we protect that? Well, the, the privacy, um, the client data within my resource connection is secured. Um, we make sure of that because the data, my RC, it's, the, it's a web-based application, but it is not a database. That is the biggest misconception. What my RC does is we simply extract data, put it into a secured um, site behind firewalls, and then it's all based on user administration. Based on your credentialing as a staff member of Johnson County government, you have access to that, that system, but you do not have full access. Again, it's based on what job duties you have, and is it appropriate and acceptable for you to have that level of access. But from there, the system is a view-only application, meaning we don't store that. We simply extract it from its original location and make it viewable through my resource connection. When you're coming in and we're meeting with that individual, if we have resource data that we want to provide to this individual, we can do it in a multitude of ways. We can assist the individual without, with actually making the referral, picking up the phone right then and there, 
calling this ex other agency and saying, hey, we have an individual that has a need. Do you have the capacity to meet that need and helping them make that initial contact? Um, if we're doing it remotely, because right now some of our staff are not all in the office, they're working remotely like you and I are today. Um, we have the ability to use MyRC, look up those needed resources and actually email them to the individual, um, which is going to provide them all the information, the address, the phone number, the contact information, is there eligibility requirements, what all services is provided by this organization. And we can do that that way as well. And then we can do the age old, print out a, a list of resources and make that available to an individual before they walk out of one of our offices. So it sounds like it cuts cuts down on the legwork there, but also a lot of the frustration. You know, you've got people who are in crisis and are already stressed. And so this is uh, probably very helpful in that way as well. Well, and the other thing is there are two different versions. There's the version that you and I are talking about right now, which is that secure version that our staff uses. But then there's also a public facing version that staff have access or that um, individuals throughout the community have access to. They simply can go out and type in my resource connection on any search engine. When it comes up, one of the first ones you're going to find is my resource connection, Johns County, follow that link and it's going to take you out there and you can look for those needed resources on your own from your own personal computer. All right, that's terrific. I just want to wrap up by, you know, opening this up to everybody. Any uh, words of, of hope for, for those in need in our community and also um, any messages of, of our listeners on ways that they can help? Well, I would just say um, words of hope. Um, we're, we are eternal optimists in the human service world always, even though we oftentimes are kind of faced with some of the worst that, uh, you know, that, that humanity deals out. Um, but I guess I would just tell everybody to please hang in there. Help is out there available. And I did want to go ahead and give the phone number if somebody were interested or needing some help with rent assistance, utility assistance, food pantry. Um, the phone number to call would be 913- 715-6653. And we do, um, we meet people by appointment. So uh, you will need to call that number before, you know, you come in. But, and actually we're doing most of what we're doing remotely um, and virtually. So uh, give us a call if you need any help. All right. Anyone else? I think another action that I would really encourage households to engage in is advocacy locally. Given that many of those dollars which go to those municipalities or to the county are still being decided upon and what should be prioritized. I think it's really important for the community to let their elected officials know that it's really important that's important to them that people are able to have their basic needs, including their housing met during this time, and that it will benefit us as a community overall if that happens. I would strongly encourage people that if you're if you don't know who to turn to or where to turn, United Way 211, picking up the phone and calling 211, they are a great partner with the county, and I know that they can assist you in, in getting whatever resources or needs that you need met. All right, a lot of great information there. And for more information about COVID-19 in Johnson County, visit jocogov.org forward slash coronavirus. You can also subscribe to a daily e-newsletter with the latest information from the county and the state. And for the links that we talked about in this podcast episode, we'll have those in the show notes for you. Thanks for listening. You just heard Joko on the go. Join us next time for more Everything Johnson County. Have a topic you want to discuss? We want to hear from you. 
Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at JocoGov. For more on this podcast, visit jocogov.org forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening.